Let's, let's jump in here. If you're sitting at a table that has any surface area available, which that doesn't seem to be any of these, we need a, we need, what a great problem to have. We have people and nowhere to put them. We want to encourage people to stick around by giving them a place to go. So if you're planning on not leaving, whatever, what happens right now, if you could sacrifice yourself for others, are there, is there tables somewhere? What if we put some chairs back there with the food? Put some chairs back there. Um, maybe some, some bleacher seats here. We are like right on. And it kind of out of handouts. What a great problem. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Faithful God, whose mercies are new to us every morning, we humbly pray that you would look upon us in mercy and renew us by your Holy Spirit. Keep safe our going out and our coming in, and let your blessing remain with us throughout this day. Preserve us in your righteousness, and grant us a portion in that eternal life which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. That prayer was from kind of the, I mentioned this to my new member class this past week, um, a, kind of a secret spot uh, in the sandwich of the, the Lutheran service book, the hymnal that we worship with on Sunday, has all the liturgies in the front, the different services that we follow, um, which you never use because we just print everything off for everybody in the bulletin. Uh, but the pew is still there in front of you. So if you show up early for some reason or stick around late or during communion, if you don't feel like singing the hymn or five seconds into the sermon, you're like, it's Clemmer again, this is boring. I want something else to do. Grab the hymnal. And in the middle, around the 300s, low 300s, there's a bunch of prayers for like every different situation you can think of. So if you've got things like, not that this would apply to anyone that you can think of, if there are unbelievers in your family or community that you might be loving a lot and wanting them to be more receptive to the gospel, prayers for those who have rejected the faith, prayers for children, prayers for per parents, prayers for the self, prayers for the beginning of the day, the end of the day, whatever. There's like hundreds of prayers in here. So uh, every different opportunity, every different situation you can think of, lots of different prayers in the middle of the hymnal. So grab that, make use of that resource as you are available. Speaking of resources, I feel like, a, like these, those like concert people and they're selling their merch like in between songs. All, all my stuff is free. This green thing, you know, everything you have is green today. Um, that's going to be a running problem. So I like to make my handout for Bible study match the color of the liturgical season, which is green. We're doing the same thing with the con congregation of prayer. In case you either did not go to early service or don't read the week at a glance, you should subscribe to the week at a glance and read it, um, just as a side note there. But we're trying to start this year again. We've done this in years past with what used to be the ABC devotions. And then right before the pandemic, we put together a resource called uh, Around the Word, uh, which took a lot of time and effort to put together. And then pandemic happened and the thing just kind of fizzled out anyway. And then Giuliani, who was kind of the brainchild of the project, left, so the whole thing died. So now we're back with another opportunity for a congregational devotion. I assume most, if not all of you, are already doing something. But on the off chance that you're not, we want to say, hey, this is an easy thing to kind of to pop into your daily devotional life or even use it uh, as an adjunct to what you're currently using. If you grabbed one when you first came in or when you left the sanctuary, we had the ushers force one into your hands. Uh, if you'll see it, it's, it's very, very basic. The paragraph at the top, Barton's is really big about, he, he, he kind of put this thing together. Um, and by the way, we're, we're, we're encouraging this in church. We're using all of our day, day school classrooms. We're using the day school chapel. We're sitting at home with all the kids in the school. We're going to have it here in the, in the church. So we're trying to get everybody in church and school on the same prayer devotional cycle. And uh, most of the components in the prayer, maybe just for today, we're not going to do this every week, but just to kind of look at the basic idea, the flow of it, it's on the top, it says, a guide, uh, the Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily devotions in the home, the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, August 21st to 27th. So they're going to be green for the rest of the season of Pentecost, so you're going to, you're going to have a lot of green papers accumulating, but that date is significant, right? So these are the prayers beginning today, or for you're like, hey, we're busy today, we went to church, we'll do it tomorrow, or when you get a chance. The idea is during breakfast, after breakfast, before dinner, somewhere when you got everybody sitting together, have the invocation, and then 
just kind of pick and choose something off the buffet there. Um, we try to provide it for you to have some sort of a flow with some good components there. Uh, the Apostles' Creed can't go wrong. A psalm, Psalm 27, the Lord is my light, my salvation, whom shall I fear? It's kind of a long psalm, but a, but a very good one. So if you're able to read that, depending on how many kids you're juggling and how old they are, then the daily Bible reading. So what you see here is not the readings printed out. If you recall the ABC devotions, the bulk of the devotion was actually five-point font, all the readings crammed in there. We're trying to make it accessible for lazy people. And then we thought, you know what? If you're going to go through the trouble of doing the devotion, you probably can open your Bible, um, and you should do that anyway. At the very least, you know, get a Bible at home. If you don't have a Bible at home, steal one from church. Take one from Bible study, please. We have plenty. Of, we have more Bibles to know what to do with. Take a Bible home. Start using it. Um, but in case you're like on the train, like commuting somewhere, or maybe you're in the car and, and on a long drive or something, uh, the week at a glance for this Friday, every Friday is going to have the upcoming week's congregation at prayer. It's also on the church website under congregational resources. The reason why that's significant is there's an electronic version of this that's got all these Bible verses hyperlinked directly to a, to a, a web page that's got the reading there. So if you're on your phone trying to do devotions and like, oh, where's the Bible? It's 10 feet away. I'm super lazy. Let's just not do the Bible reading today. Well, if that's the holdup, use your phone, click on the hyperlink, and I think there's even an audio there. So push, push play. You can hear the word. Then as you open to the inside, the, it says memory work. Don't let that scare you. The idea is um, by, by repeating things over and over again, you kind of learn it, which is the beauty of the liturgy. We do the same thing all the time. This is true for everything that we enjoy doing. All the songs that you really like, you listen to them, listen to them, and you learn them. So uh, for this week, the theme is really the catechism. Every week, the theme is going to be driven by the catechism. We're preaching on it in chapel, which, by the way, chapel service begins about 850, uh, at 8.50 on Wednesday morning for the school kids. But this is open to the congregation. Um, unfortunately, during, during a pandemic, we had to, like, cut off people um, for, for obvious reasons. But now it's back. So if you're looking for a midweek, if, you have, if you're available, you're looking for a midweek prayer service, uh, prayer option, uh, that's a great opportunity to jump in. We're going to be preaching on the catechism emphasis. The first commandment is the theme of this week. And so the, the, the Bible verse, the catechism reading, the hymn, the collect, the, and, um, and the readings, all the readings for this week are all kind of floating around that you shall have no other God's idea. Uh, the hymn, if you don't like to sing or don't sing very well, that's okay. On the electronic version, that's actually hyperlinked as well. Lord, keep us steadfast. If you're not familiar with it, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. We sang it last Sunday, actually. Um, that's hyperlinked to a YouTube page, and Barton's has it like timestamp. So when you click on the link, it automatically starts playing. You don't have to listen to like a five-minute pre prelude or something. So you can just play that and uh, sing along or just listen to somebody else sing it if you like. Then uh, the, all, the long list of all the different people. These are all the people who are in the bulletin currently or on the week at a glance prayer list. Um, the shut-ins of the congregation, the sick, people who have requested prayers, uh, mothers with child, armed forces, and all these different themes. So as you are able, again, as you have interest and need and time to try to pray for some of the people in our congregation, it's actually, it's okay for us to pray for one another. And if you see people's name on that list that you don't like, you should pray for them more. And you're right. <laughs> and then pray for yourself. Lord, soften my heart that I love them more. And then on the back, the Lord's Prayer, and then Luther's morning or evening prayer, and then the blessing, on you go. If you, if you, if you scrap, I tried this with my kids, uh, try to figure out how, we could, how quick we could get this thing done, approximately three minutes. We cut the psalm, instead I just made the kids do some of their memory work, and I didn't do the reading, I did the, the truncated children's Bible story for kids, um, but we got through this whole thing in less than five minutes. You can make it take longer. But the idea is, think about the things that you, you do in your life that take five minutes or less. It's a lot of things that, just, that you invest, even sitting, watching a commercial for a show that you don't really want to watch, but you're there and, okay, fine, we'll wait and we'll watch the commercial. Five minutes goes by like that. So a try, I mean, it's a great, we're starting off a new school year and lots of new beginnings happening. 
So if you want to try a, 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 some sort of a devotional resource, grab this and do as little as it takes for you to actually do it. Even if it's just, we begin today in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And out we go. Pretty simple. Why did you put off this piece of paper, Pastor? If that's, well, it's okay. Maybe eventually you'll graduate to more stuff, right? All right. So Luke uh, 12 today. Finally, we're moving on to a new chapter and a new handout, a fresh handout. Make, make yourself acquainted with that handout. You'll probably have it for a few weeks if I keep up what, I've been, <laughs> what I tend to do. Uh, we'll try to cover as much of that handout as we can today. Luke 12, if you remember the context as Luke 11 ended, I'm going to read the end of it for you. Luke 11, Jesus had been going off on the Pharisees. He had been invited to a Pharisee's house and he was calling the Pharisees these unmarked graves who neglect the justice and love of God, but instead get wrapped up on this, the little laws that don't matter. And then the lawyers say, hey, that's offensive. And Jesus says, oh yeah, here's some more law for you lawyers. Woe to you lawyers. And ultimately it's all this focus, you're focused on these outward deeds as some kind of way to make yourself righteous before God. And that's not what it's about. Over and over, he's harping on that. Then as we get into Luke 12, and really for the next couple of chapters, he continues to, to uh, punch on the Pharisees. But let us not, and this, I'm going to keep coming back to this. It's not that the, Phar the Pharisees are very easy for us to um, like point at in other people, right? So it's easy to see Pharisees and uh, in TV shows, like when, whenever Christians are portrayed in TV shows, they're always pharisaical. And so they, they are focused on the law as though that's the point of coming to church. That's the point of, obviously, Pharisees, Judaism is a totally different religion than, than Christianity. But still, the idea is when Christianity is often portrayed in the media, it is, it's the goody two-shoes people who are so focused on the law. And it's like... If, all of our experience is, well, the first thing we do is actually we get together and right off the bat, we say we're sinners and Jesus only calls sinners to himself. So if you're not sinners, then you're not welcome here. <laughs> well, you wouldn't want to be here, right? That's the idea. Um, so contrary to what the world thinks, we're actually saying, no, Jesus, Jesus is calling us here precisely because we have sin and he wants to forgive us and set us free from our sin. So the Pharisees were focused on that, and Jesus is going to continue to, to, to go against that. Today, the big theme is hypocrisy. For really the whole chapter 12, he's going to tackle this word hypocrisy. And your first instinct might be to, who jumps into your mind is somebody in your family or some neighbor or some friend of yours is a hypocrite. So Jesus is, the, the law always has that tendency to we want to pick it up and use it on other people. And Jesus is really, he's going after the Pharisee in each of us. But in order to kind of go after that Pharisee, you got to know what he looks like. And that, that's what Jesus describes here for us. So Luke 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together, thousands, I'm just going to jump over that. So many thousands of people gathered together. Uh, I think the, uh, that TV show, the, it was on YouTube during the pandemic. The Browns was really into and got me into, what was it called? Is it called the Bible? What is it called? The Chosen? They do a, a pretty good job of portraying the numbers of crowds and certain events. So like when you actually see a thousand people together, it, it makes, like he didn't, Jesus didn't have the Britney Spears mic like I do. So like, how is he, how is this working? Like practically speaking, how are thousands, thousands of people? There's not even a hundred of you in this room. So well over 10 times. What's in this room now, Jesus isn't mic'd and everyone's like talking to each other. How does this work practically, you know? Jesus wasn't like famous for his, his like deep, grovelly, loud voice. He just starts talking. And everybody's like, shh, hey, you're in the back. Jesus is talking, shh. Thousands of people gathered together and there were so many, they were trampling over one another. That's uncomfortable. He began to say to his disciples first. So he just starts speaking to those who are nearest to him. And what's a disciple again? Just anybody who's learning, learning from Jesus. You can be a disciple of anything. So the disciples of Jesus 
from our, our New Testament perspective, as those who are, well, what makes a disciple according to the Jesus's formula? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing into my name and teaching. There's actually not an and. The Greek, it's, there's, there's no chi, which is the Greek word for, it's just, there's like a comma. It's just baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He, all these, they all roll together as one big swirling package. So with being a, being a disciple of Jesus, I'm hearing his word. And that's a, think about this. I, with, we're starting a new member class. and I, I, Why do we call it members? It's silly. Clubs have members. Uh, cults have members. Um, I don't know. You can be a member of lots of different things. We're not after members. I don't care about that. Disciples is what we're after. We want disciples. I don't want you to be a member here. I don't know what that means, really, because you can jump through hoops and still not be a disciple, right? So disciples are those who are baptized into the Lord's name, who learn his word, who live from hearing his word, rejoice in his word, his teaching. And with that, with being baptized into the Lord's name and hearing his word, he gives his presence. Lo, I'm with you always, always to the end of the age. All that together. What a gift we, we enjoy. So at the time of Jesus, you had disciples of lots of different rabbis. So John the Baptist, for example, had his disciples. And every teacher would have had disciples. Um, so Jesus had his. And they were the ones who were maybe his inner circle as he's talking to them. And then everybody just kind of quiets down and listens to this. With thousands of them. It's to wrap our mind around. Uh, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So beware, the Greek word for beware is uh, be concerned about or pay attention to. So be alert to this problem of the leaven of the Pharisees. What is leaven? Home brewers? Or bread makers? Right? Yeast. So yeast is this thing that, I mean, this is remarkable. I, I appreciate this more just having brewed beer. Like it, they, when you buy the home brew stuff and you, and you go to add the yeast so that the yeast eats the sugar and releases as a byproduct carbon dioxide and alcohol, that's how the fermentation process works. But then the, the, the yeast is just like breeding like crazy. But when you buy it, when you buy the yeast, if you want the process to go quick, like me and Brouch do when we're brewing our stuff, like you buy billions and billions and trillions of yeast strains because we want it to ferment really, really quickly um, just so we can drink it faster and bring it to Theology on Tap, which by the way, Theology on Tap has homebrew, just a little plug there, come to Theology on Tap. But it multiplies, it breeds really, really quick. So, and it's, it's, it happens quickly and, and you, you really can't stop it. And that's the problem with homebrew. Um, my father-in-law always gives me a hard time about this, having worked in Anheuser-Busch, that they, they're, they're, they take all these really strict precautions on sanitation and keeping everything really super clean and good because they're making really good beer consistently. Homebrew, you know, you're like, you're making it in your kitchen and your dog walks by and there's like dog hair kind of floating in the air, <laughs> kind of lands there in the beer. That's not ideal for flavor. And you don't see it, but it, it's quick, it's too late, like it's quick. So we're, we're, we try to be as sanitized as we can, but that's the idea behind this, the leaven, it goes quick and you can't stop it. Once the fermentation starts, it's going and you can't, you can't slow it down and it's rolling and it's almost subtle in how quickly it just starts. For you home brewers, it just starts bubbling slow and it breeds more and more. And it does what we hope our retirement accounts do someday. It starts growing exponentially. And, brew, and now it's going crazy fast. Starts subtle, goes fast. So that's the way this leaven is. It's subtle. And you don't really see it. It's very, 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 very small. Now the amount of yeast that we had to homebrew, or for you bread makers, it's like a packet of sweet and low it looks like. There's a lot of it there. It doesn't actually take that much. It takes a lot if you want to just happen quickly. But really, just it takes like a molecule to get, to get it going. And then it breeds and so this is the leaven, beware, Jesus says, of the leaven of the Pharisees, this hypocrisy that's subtle yet fast moving and unstoppable, which is hypocrisy. 
So how is hypocrisy the leaven of the Pharisees? That's maybe the question we need to sit on here for a while. Just chew on that. So first, maybe what, what is hypocrisy? Saying one thing and doing the opposite. That's like that's the that's the normal the, the quick definition. I think it's not it, it's helpful because the idea would be there is a there is a belief that I have that's sincerely held internally within me, but then I go and do something different. So it's not just that I'm saying one thing and doing the opposite, but I'm actually I am one thing, and I'm doing the opposite. The, the, the etymology, I was looking at this, of how this word hip, hypocrisy comes about, it's tied to actors. The, the language, of, and especially in the Greek culture, this, the language of uh, someone being on stage and being, putting on a show, being a part of a play. So I am a, I am a person, and yet I can pretend to be somebody else in this play. And everybody's so, like... You can kind of get lost in the art if you're one of that, if you, if you're in the, if you go for that sort of thing. But the idea is I'm still, I can pretend to be a murderer in a, in a film, but I'm not a murderer. I am not that character. I am, I'm Seth, you know, I've got, I am me. So there's a distinction between what I'm doing and what I actually am. And that's hypocrisy. So there, there actually is an, an essence to what we're supposed to be about as the Lord's people. And yet, the Pharisees are going after it a different way. Specifically, in context of the rant that Jesus has been on against the Pharisees, it's about their, about their righteousness and what makes a person righteous before God. That is, holy and without sin and acceptable before God. Uh, for the Pharisees, it was stuff that they're doing on the outside. But on the inside, as Jesus says, they're, they're tombs, they're dead, they're graves. There's a deadness on the inside, and they're trying to make it look like there's something on the outside. Uh, and that hypocrisy problem, that's how it manifests for them, but we can make lots of different applications to our, maybe for ourselves, and how, hypocrisy, how, how hypocrisy, hypocrisy manifests itself for the Christian. So we, we are Christians. You are baptized into Christ. You actually believe that God became flesh. God, so for, you believe that God created this existence, everything. And then he, he lowers himself as a human, becomes one of us, dies for us, rose again from the dead. We will die, but that is not the end. We will rise again too. Because he died for us. That's what you believe. He has forgiven everything that you've done wrong, everything you've said or thought. He's just taken it away. That's what you confess. But how quickly do we then, like as soon as you, you kind of forget that and you turn to your neighbor and criticize, judge, um, grow angry with, don't put the best construction on things, you know, the, the lust of the eyes, the mind, like all these we want, we wander away. Like we actually believe that Jesus is going to get at this. Nothing is covered up that will, that will not be revealed. Nothing is hidden that will not be known. You know that God sees what you do on the internet. God sees what you, what you whisper to your colleagues about the other colleague who's not there. If you actually believe that there's a God who can see these things, why are you doing that? Well, because our, our sin actually shows our unbelief. It's evidence of our, of our lack of faith. Now don't, don't freak out. It's not that, I'm not saying that because you sin, you don't have faith and you're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying that what sin is, is evidence of our unbelief, which is why Jesus is always calling us back to himself in repentance. Whatever it is that we're, whatever the sin is, go down the Ten Commandments, whatever the particular sin is, you're doing that sin to appease some other God than the living and true God. So pick whatever, whatever pet sin you, you have in your, your, on your buffet of personal sins that you struggle with, perhaps. Why are you doing that thing? 
Why are you saying that stuff? Why are you looking at that? Whatever it is, whatever the thing is, who is your God in that situation? Who am I fearing most? What do I love more than God? Right? What am I putting my trust in more than God? So our sin exposes what our God is, our true God. And so from that, Jesus obviously turns us in repentance and forgives us our sin. But that's ultimately why sin is so serious. Sin isn't just something that I've done against my neighbor or against God or some kind of some deed that's right here. But this deed is done because I'm trying to please a different God. And that's all, by the way, you can have, you can be, two people can be doing the same action and the action itself might not be sinful. Think about that. So it's, what's the, what's the motivation? What's the intent behind what's being done? Uh, what's the spirit behind what's being done? So the, the, the work itself, in many cases, the work itself is obviously sinful, right? It's not really a redeeming way of looking at certain, certain things. But other things, in a real way, it's, it's the... It's the that's weird. Uh, it, it is the intent. It's the heart, which then goes back to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are all about the outward deeds. And they're all about trying to make the outward, outward deeds perfect. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter. Your heart is far from me. So if the heart's far from Jesus and the outward deed is ultimately nothing, it's, it's actually sin apart from Christ. So uh, to, to be one thing, to, to actually, for us, it's, it's another way of thinking about hypocrisy would be those who are declared righteous and made righteous because of what Jesus has done for us, but then actually turning and living and, and, and confessing as though our righteousness is based on something that we're doing. I mean, so in a very real way, it's like, if I'm a, 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 one way my hypocrisy, the little, hypo, the little hypocrite in me and you might be seen is that I know I'm, I'm saved eternally because Jesus died for me, he died for all my sin. I'm saved apart from anything within me. And then uh, once death kind of starts creeping closer and you start to panic, you start to kind of lean maybe a little bit heavier on your works <laughs> just to make sure, right? Or the way I see it, usually like at funerals, what is everybody quick to say? What's the, what's the theme of like, especially secular funerals? We all need to walk away knowing that Joe here was a good guy. Why are we saying that about Joe? Because we're, we're putting all of our hope on that Joe is a good guy. Well, really the best thing, because I'm put in a situation sometimes where I'd, well, maybe Joe, we all know Joe wasn't a good guy. Maybe that's why people say it. We all know that we're pretty bad. And when we die, I want people to say nice stuff about us, so we'll say nice stuff about them. But the idea is, the, 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 what, the best thing we can say about Joe is that Jesus loved him and died for him. That's the best thing we can say. So his righteousness is all because of what Jesus said and did for him, right? But we kind of drift from that, and we have different expectations for other people. Can you believe that guy calls himself a Christian and he still said, he still did, he calls himself a Christian. Some Christian he turned out to be. Wait a second. Now, I'm now that's me turning into the Pharisee again. Pinning a person's righteousness on what they're doing. Now, for that individual who's not living the way that he should be living, as, as, as he's confessing, he's actually practicing hypocrisy. So he, when he hears God's word, he's convicted of being a hypocrite and turned in repentance. But for us, as soon as we pick up the gun and point out somebody else is a hypocrite because they're not, they're not righteous enough, we actually become hypocrites ourselves. So it's a, it's a dangerous substance to play with the law when you try to use it for that which Jesus has not intended. So he, Jesus is giving us the law to, to, convict, to convict you personally, to turn you from your hypocrisy. And we're, we're always quick to see it in other people and that's okay. But just remember maybe that, that other person is a, is a mirror of, of some kind of manifestation of sin within yourself. This hypocrisy though, isn't just something that, that you see one time and it's done, but it's like leaven. So again, thinking back to how leaven works, it sneaks in subtle. So no one says, you know what I'm gonna do today? I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be a hypocrite. My wife would love that. I'm gonna, today I'm gonna be a hypocrite. I'm gonna be the best hypocrite I can be. 
No one's, no one's, no one actually thinks they're doing it, right? It starts off small. So we kind of misunderstand our righteousness and we think other people are righteous according to their own works. And we start going down that road. The next thing you look up and you're totally focused on outward works. You've cut yourself off from Christ. And even church itself, we're going to be, well, all we're going to talk about is how you need to make yourself better. Because ultimately that's what we're about is you becoming a better person. If you can make yourself a better person, then we'd know for sure that you're in heaven on the last day. What? How, how do we end up there? Well, start it small. Take a little step away from Jesus as the only way, as the narrow gate, whatever today's gospel is. And slowly but surely we end up in a full-blown worship of works. Uh, Paul, in the Galatians, uh, in Paul's letter to the Galatians, and also extremely um, aggressively in, in Luther's commentary on Galatians, he makes a case that when you add anything to Jesus for salvation, you take everything away from Jesus. So it's either Jesus alone or no Jesus. But you can't say, I'm saved by Jesus alone and me, tr me trying hard. Like in the case of Galatians, it was, one, it was being circumcised. I gotta, be, I gotta be a Christian, I believe in Jesus, but also I have to be circumcised. So the clinging to the law with, with one hand, as one, to, just, just to make sure. So when you, we add anything to Jesus, like I know I'm, I know I'm saved when I die because, because Jesus has claimed me as his own. He died for all of my sins. And also I'm a good person. Are you a good person? If that's in the formula at all, then the formula is dead. You lose. Zero. Hell it is, right? So you take it yourself. So Jesus is always pulling us out of the formula and the little Pharisee in us is always trying to jump back in and saying, I've got something to do with it. I can, I can hang my hat on something. I, did something. I did something good. So beware, he says. That's the message to you. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. That is hypocrisy. It will creep in on you. You'll find yourself focusing on somebody else's works and judging them as though their salvation were dependent on it or as though you're somehow better in yourself. Um, and next thing you know, you're totally wrapped up on the works. The, if you're familiar with um, what was called pietism in the late 1600s and 1700s, this is, this is what happened to, uh, it's called um, post-Orthodox Lutheranism. It, was, it, was a, it, it began as a distinctly Lutheran problem because we are so focused on getting the doctrine right. The doctrine is a big word for teaching. Get the teaching right. And all we're going to care about is the doctrine and the teaching. And the accusation was, all you care about is the doctrine. You don't care about actually loving your neighbor. So let's not focus on the doctrine. Why are, in fact, why are we wasting time right now studying God's word? Why don't we all just go and do a, a service project for the community? And let's just replace all Bible studies with some kind of acts of, of social change or loving our neighbor. And so, so now we're, we're going to completely focus on deeds and not creeds, as the saying goes. And you start to just drift completely away from what is salvation. Since when does Jesus tell us not to study his word? He's, what, what makes a disciple? Being baptized, learning his word, and ultimately doing good works toward your neighbor. Oh, that's not in the formula. My discipling is from hearing his word. And what, by the way, what's the word tell me to do to my neighbor? To love him. And how do I do that? various ways. Don't take his stuff. Help him to keep his stuff. Right? Don't say, don't say bad stuff. Say good stuff. Don't take his wife. Encourage his marriage to stick together. These are all basic ideas. That's how we love our neighbor. Uh, so beware of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees that creeps in. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Um, oh, one, one, uh, number three on your handout. Fear, ev fear evokes hypocrisy in us. I ran across that quote this, this week. So think about what, what actually drives us to hypocrisy, especially in the context of when Jesus is giving this to his disciples who are gonna start being persecuted pretty quick. Those who actually confess to be Christians and then are asked to burn incense to Caesar. 
um, or those who are actually calling themselves Christian and then living a different way during the week. I mean, for the longest time in America, we've been able to do that. But fortunately, it's unfortunate, but it's also fortunate in a way, it's getting the persecution starting to turn up the heat a little bit. So now I'm actually forced to make decisions in my daily life based on what I actually believe about this God. Does he actually exist? Do I actually believe in him? Do I think that he can actually see what I'm doing? Um, and of course he forgives me my sins, but there's this interesting question. I'm like, why, if I actually believe that this, that this God exists and that there's, a, there's an eternal life and a salvation, then why am I gonna, why am I gonna burn incense to Caesar? I mean, that's the, that's, that's the easy analogy, saying when, whenever he, the Christians were caught in the first century worshiping Jesus, they would say, well, burn incense to, we won't kill you if you just burn incense to Caesar, which is how you show that you believe that Caesar is God and not Jesus. Simple enough, burning incense. I don't really believe in Caesar. I mean, obviously I can burn the incense and still keep my faith in Jesus. But I actually believe that there's a Jesus. And I actually believe that you can cut off my head and guess what? Jesus is gonna put it back on, baby. Eventually, <laughs> the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. So why am I gonna not actually live like I believe, right? And so that's one way. So we, it calls us to actually being faithful in our life as, as Christians and the way that we, the way we make a firm confession for our faith. But also what you actually believe is that you have sin, that you're not perfect, which is why we come here. You don't come here to learn how to be a better person. In fact, for, for many of us, maybe you come here and it makes you a, a worse person because you see all the things that make you mad and curmudgeon. <laughs> Every time I come to church, they made me put a table up for Bible study. No one else is doing it, whatever. <laughs> Silly, stupid example there. But the idea is we come here because we know we have sin that Jesus wants to forgive. So I'm not a hypocrite because I, when we confess our sins, my sin actually doesn't make me a hypocrite. My sin is evidence of the truth that I'm already confessing. See? So, so what we, we come here, we start off the bat with the des our desperate, terrible situation, our, our, our worthless state before God. I am nothing. If it's up to me, I got nothing. I deserve only temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heart, heartily sorry. Well, oh, am I, but I'm, are you heartily sorry enough? Or are you hardly sorry? Right? Really, that's the, I mean, if you thought about that in the confession before, like you can get wrapped up on how sincere you are and all of a sudden you're looking back at yourself. So we can't even confess our sins rightly without getting wrapped up on ourselves. So that's how we come before Jesus. He calls us together. Jesus, I'm, I'm so messed up. I don't even know how messed up I am. You have to tell me how messed up I am. That's why he gives us the law. I, I'm not even, I don't have the strength to even say how messed up I am enough. So I'm just asking, I'm throwing myself at you. I commend myself to you. Please forgive me. That's confession. That's how we start off our week. If that's what we actually believe about ourselves and our stance before God, why would we distance ourselves from that gift? If I actually believe that I have sin and that Jesus forgives it and he actually died for my sins and he actually delivers forgiveness to me, why is everything else in the world so much more important to me? The way I choose my, pick my schedule or order my week. Because I'm a hypocrite, that's why. And that's leaven. And so, Lord, strengthen me, turn me, give me repentance. That's all Jesus is about here. We're all, there's a little Pharisee in all of us always being drawn back to that, running away from Jesus, leaning towards self-righteousness, not living like we actually confess. Um, and so nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Um, Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops, which is nice law that should cause significant fear for all of us. And at that point, the, the law has done its job. So, so the, here's, a, here's the helpful thing with the law. Jesus is not joking around here when he says that all the sins that you've done and said in the darkness, all the whispered conversations, 
the shattering of the eighth commandment, and that's just what you say, much less what you do, that you think no one else knows about, that's going to be known from the rooftops. It's everyone's going to know about it. But yours is actually on Jesus. He's, the, he's guilty of it. Your sins have been removed from you as far as the east is from the west, as long as you are in Christ. But if you're not in Christ on the last day, this is, this is the scary picture that it actually purports to be. A person's sins are, as, are for everybody to know. But if you're in Christ, your sin is for everybody to know. But it's not yours anymore, it's given to Jesus. Jesus becomes you, and you're made to be him. That's why we, we are sons of, Je we're sons of God. We pray our Father, and Jesus takes our sin upon himself. So now what, what initially hits us as significant and should be very, very frightening law for the sinner turns us running to Jesus out of fear of people finding out how bad of sinners we actually are in the last day, right? Well, and, and that ultimately, again, is another testimony of our unbelief. Eh, no one's ever going to find out. I mean, all this church stuff, we just kind of, it makes me feel good now, but I don't actually believe it. Kind of jump through the motion, which is, this is a terrible way to, if you don't actually believe this, this is a terrible way to spend your time. That's a different rabbit hole. Um, one, one, uh, one side note here, what, sh what you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. This word light is kind of this drop of hope in the midst of kind of a despairing, stern word of law. And I, and I like, um, one, of my, one of my mentors taught me this helpful way of understanding light and darkness. Uh, it's, it's kind of unrelated to what we're talking about here, except this is the Bible verse for this, this thinking, so it's a good time for me to bring it up. What do you do when you, you teach a confirmation student? You, let's play a game, you be me. Put yourself in my shoes. Uh, you're teaching confirmation to a kid in seventh grade, and you're teaching the uh, eighth commandment on bearing false testimony against your neighbor. And, and generally in there, we're talking about lying, telling, saying things that are not true, right? Which isn't, by the way, exactly what the eighth commandment says, but it's, I mean, lying is wrong, right? Saying, so we, that's what we, we, you teach your kids this. Whether or not you believe the Ten Commandments, you're generally probably teaching your kids not to lie. And, and then it's mom's birthday. And it's a surprise party for mom that I'm trying to plan. And I'm going to go get a cake for mom. Um, and I'm going to take the girls because we're going to stop by and I'm going to get the girls to pick up a, a, a surprise present or something. And, and mom says, hey, where are you going? And I say, well, we're throwing you a surprise party. I'm going to get you all these stuff I wanted to surprise you with. But now I can't surprise you because you asked Right? That's not what you say. Well, I'm going to take the girls to Dieta's to get a donut, which I would also do in that trip, by the way, <laughs> uh, obviously. But, but this is a lie, right? Well, it's, a, it's just a white lie. But I said it for good intention. It's not a slippery slope. How do I think about that ethically? Well, the, I, the helpful way to think about it is this. What's said in the dark is going to be heard in light. Light will be brought onto those things that are actually light. So for, for me to be saying, a, saying an untruth for the sake of bringing joy later to my bride, that's obviously not what God is against when he's talking about not bearing false testimony, right? So when the light of Jesus is shined on this, is it, is it revealed to be evil or good? It's good. It's actually evidence of love for my wife not evidence of lying. So then that, again, that gets back to the work itself being, if you look at it individually, it may be sinful, but it's actually not. You'll look at it individually. What's the intent? What's the heart that's driving it, right? So that's light. So things that are, and in contrast though, think about where all of our, so much of our sinful words occur that are preceded by doing this. Guess what? Guess what I heard, right? Uh, so, and this, so the sins, the, the sins that are often happening in the darkness, he's just turning us from and keeping us mindful. This is like this, keeping us mindful that there is a God who's seeing these things. And in our sin, it rightfully causes us great despair and fear and goes, chases us running back to Jesus. 
But be on, be on the guard against hypocrisy, which is 11 of the Pharisees. And, and keep in mind that fear will always, t- typically fear is a, a big thing that, that causes us to be hypocrites. Out of fear of what other people are going to think, fear of what other people might say, uh, because we, we ultimately fear, love, and trust in other things more than the living and true God. And so out of that fear, we are tempted to be hypocrites. And then Jesus is going to go, to, is going to go on here to, un, to unload on fear for the entire next section on your handout. Who, who do you fear, by the way? What, what's driving you to be a hypocrite? So verse 4 to 7 that we'll talk about next week is Jesus, don't fear them. Don't fear those who kill the body, but instead fear him alone, the one who can kill the body and throw you in hell. Then he says, fear not. Don't fear them, fear him. But when you're fearing him, fear not. So that's where we're going next week on on fear. Um, But today I want to kind of just sit on that hypocrisy idea for a bit. Any thoughts or comments? We have a couple minutes here before we break. So I finally ended with enough time to ask for questions. And no one has a question. There we go. That's great. So I'll take it a step further. Again, play, let's play you be me. What if you don't have the registry that has all the attendance? And in fact, you know that they weren't really as... Then what do you say? That's what I get to do all the time. <laughs> so, so this is helpful. This is why for, we, we stress these things. I mean, we don't enjoy funerals, but we, it's, it's, it's good to go. There's a few things, key things that are reminded. Despite, usually these little, these little, I won't say fights, these little arguments always happen It'll be with you one day, because right now you just say one thing, you'll be a hypocrite, you'll say one thing, but when it's your spouse or your mom or your kid who dies, you're going to want your own set of rules. <laughs> and I'm going to have to say, no, uh, we're not going to have, so in the, here's what we do. We bring the casket in, we put it in the, in the narthex, whether or not the casket's open or closed. Um, during the visitation, if you choose to have that here, then we process, we cover the, we, we, we cover the, the uh, casket with this big white cloth called a pall. Like you just spent $10,000 on that casket. It was really fancy. All right, so if you're going to cover up the pall that I really liked because it was a cool thing that, you know, dad really liked, you covered it up. Can I at least put a big picture of dad there next to the casket? And I say, No. Telling you now so you don't get mad at me. Get mad at me now and argue with me now, but don't be. I'm not going to argue with you in your mourning. Um, but so here's why. Because the reason why we're having a service in that, in that room is because the person in the casket is covered in Jesus. If they're standing on their own face before God, they're in trouble. So we have the picture in the back next to the casket during the visitation, but then we cover up. Joe, you stick with that name. We cover up Joe with Jesus. That's the why the Paul is white. We cover him up and we take him to the front and we start with, with Romans 6. We're baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's the comfort. And ultimately, regardless of how much I knew or didn't know the person, I, 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 mean, I, I try to personalize funeral sermons. And we, we want to say some, the Lord did work through that person to serve us even if they were a jerk most of the time, a hypocrite, whatever we say, well, you know what? Without him marrying her and having kids, at the very least, he's a dad, right? So it just, but also maybe, maybe it's a situation where he did, God did a lot of good things, changed the diapers, had a job that fed people, fed the family, helped. God works through people, that's, that's vocation. But still though, that's not why we're in that room. 
So we say a few good things, but ultimately the best thing, the best thing about Joe, this is my, every funeral sermon is basically the same. You can do a find and replace of first names and kind of end up in the same place. The best thing we're going to say about you is that Jesus died for you. And you confess Jesus till the, the reason we all have hope and comfort in this tragic, grieving situation is because you confessed Jesus to the day you died. It wasn't that you were sinless because you also stood next to us in church and confessed how sinful you were and how much Jesus covers all your sins. And so here, as, we, as you're dying, as you've de- died, we cover you in the white pall and we light the baptism candle, which is, these are all, these are all man-made symbolic things. That, that candle that the acolytes hate lighting because it's weird to light it, it's kind of hard to put out and you can't see it. It's right by the baptismal font. We light it at baptisms and at Easter and at funerals because it loops the three together. I'm baptized into Easter morning. And so now that I'm dead, I'm on the other side of Easter morning. I'm in heaven. My body's still here waiting on the last day, but I'm with Jesus unless he lied, right? She didn't do. So that's, this, that's the hope. That's, that's what's happening at a funeral. And that's why often we kind of depersonalize we depersonalize the funeral in a way because the reason why we're, we're here in this building is because it's about, it's about the Jesus loving and dying for this person, covering this person. And really also the white, robe, the white pall is this picture of what's, what, what are we, what are they, what's everybody wearing in heaven in Revelation 7? White robes, which is all symbolic of Christ's righteousness, but that's ultimately it. What a great thing to say about us individually with all the sin that we know about ourselves. I know that when I die, this is the, this is the reminder to me to, to wrap this thing up. <laughs> I said, send the kids in to make me wrap it up. Uh, any, any other good, good, good comment there? I appreciate that. So we'll pick up with the fear, uh, what, what rightly to fear uh, in, in the context of Luke 12 next week. The Lord be with you. If you would, if you don't plan on using your handout, drop your handout on the table there on the way out. But take your little congregation of prayer with you and give it a shot this week. Tell me how you like it. And if you don't like it, complain to Bartons.